knowing that surgical patients need to be fasted and then have VTE prophylaxis and have empirical antibiotic that makes sense for the area that's yep. involved, that will give you the high distinction. And then what will give you the pass is just that you remember to take the history, that you know <laughs> the gallbladder's yep. in the right upper quadrant, that Murphy's a sign for a gallbladder that's inflamed. Yep. You know, just really basic stuff that'll get you your pass. Welcome to the First Principles of Medicine podcast. Today we've got a special guest, Dr. Sherman Kwan. Do you want to take it away? All right. Thanks, guys. Hi, my name's Sherman. You know, I actually didn't know that that's what 1pm stood for. I just thought it was a time that you guys decided to do this podcast. <laughs> so thank you for inviting me to the First Principles of Medicine. Today we'll be, I've been asked, invited rather, ordered to talk about cholecystitis. <laughs> Just a bit of a background. I mean, I met Jason when I was running the education registrar role over at Royal Perth Hospital when he was a second year student and a few of the other second year students too, and that was great. Are you, are you surprised he made it a third year? <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, through much coaching and much time after shoots, I would have been disappointed yeah. if he didn't make yeah. it. So I'm going to tell yeah. this funny story. I remember <laughs> you saw me in surgery. I just walked into this random thyroidectomy, and I wasn't even the student, scrubbed him. And it was literally just me standing five meters away and I couldn't see anything. And Sherman's like, what? What are you doing here right now? Why are you wasting your time? The surgeon doesn't even know you're here. I was just standing, looking pretty for no reason. And he just wanted to wear the scrum, <laughs> yeah. let's be honest. Yeah. He was straight away going out in the corridor yeah. and he was selfieing himself. Yes. Absolutely. I, um, no, look, it's really nice to be invited back because it's a perspective that you won't experience until you're graduated and you start teaching a few medical students when you're an intern or a resident. But you see you guys go from like wide-eyed deer in the headlights look. You honestly look like you have two left feet. <laughs> Sounds about right. I'm just impressed you can toilet yourselves, right? I mean, it's good. I uh, like reasonably competent and like you know you, you study hard you you guys would be great so it's it's awesome to be back here i guess since we're talking about the gallbladder i'll run you guys through a case on right upper quadrant pain just to refresh a bit of our knowledge i want to talk about right upper quadrant pain and the anatomy in that area we could talk about anatomy for hours about the whole abdomen but i'll try and contain my enthusiasm yes and a very specific question what is the gallbladder anyone So whenever you're asked about, like, you're always going to get this. It's like, oh, so GT, okay, so what is the pancreas? You know, like always, just, what does the liver do? That's a favorite one of everyone. Like, people always like to ask you a question. You want to have a, a structure. It's an organ. What does it do? Where do you find it? Okay. So, you know, uh, the gallbladder, you would describe it as a pear-shaped organ, roughly six to eight centimeters. It sits underneath the liver, and its primary function is to both store and concentrate the bile. Main feature is to then aid in digestion by expelling that concentrated bile that it's stored when a fatty meal is detected or whenever there's gastric distension. Does anyone remember what hormone stimulates or how it uh, stimulated to release? Because I can edit this, I don't <laughs> mind if I'm wrong. Is it cholecystokinin? It is cholecystokinin. And where is cholecystokinin released? The duodenum. What specific part oh, of yes, the duodenum? The proximal part of the duodenum. It is the proximal part, but what physiological cell releases cholecystokinin? Oh, the um, eye cells. That's yeah, right. Yes. Okay. So physiology, you know, it's it's brilliant. So you can imagine that as soon as the stomach dumps some food, predominantly fatty, but any amount, it'll just stimulate the release of cholecystokinin, stimulate contraction of the gallbladder. That is 90% of the contractility of a gallbladder. Mm. 
but it is also innovated by Vegas. Vegas nerf. That's right. Right. First principles. One p.m. guys. Right. <laughs> Vegas nerf. Parasympathetics. Your rest. Your digest. All right. The gallbladder has innovation from three things. So it's got parasympathetic and mm. sympathetic. And the sympathetic. Does anyone know what's the sympathetic afferents too? So what part of the embryological gut is it part of? <laughs> this is what I mean, right? Everyone's just like, oh, it would be, it'd be the foregut. The foregut fore fore mm. is innovated by the celiac plexus, mm. right? So if you remember, you've got three major mm. arteries celiac, and they pretty much yeah. divide into the three major embryological parts of the digestive gut. Celiac axis, foregut. SMA, midgut. IMA and hindgut. Because of the way visceral sensation is perceived, things like ischemia, inflammation, mm. goes along the afferent. So it's the referred pain from autonomic stimulation goes to those zones. Remember that whole like migratory right iliac fossa pain? Mm. You know, it's like yeah. one minute uh, referred diffuse periumbilical pain. Why is that? It's hindgut and it refers there. And then it becomes like blows up and then it touches the peritoneum and it somatizes and it's localizable. And so that's like your somatic mm. sensation, mm -hmm. which brings me to the third innovation of the gallbladder. Do you know what provides sensory innovation to the gallbladder? As you can tell, our anatomy knowledge. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty poor. What pretty usually, poor. Yes. Um, Peaked in first year, that's why. <laughs> that's, that's cool. All right. It's the right phrenic nerve. Why is that important? Does anyone remember your salient clinical history oh, of like... Your phrenic nerve goes up to your shoulder. Yeah. yeah so you can so, refer to shoulder pain. That's right. During the acute stage mm. of cholecystitis and it's just like irritating mm. that phrenic nerve because mm. it's sitting up near there, then that'll give you right shoulder tip pain. Okay. But at the same time, if the gallbladder is really inflamed, really ischemic, like there's necrotic gallbladder and they're getting like this pain that like shoots to the back, then you're like, oh, there's like some autonomic stimulation going on here. They're getting this referred back pain. Mm. And it's very similar to like the, what other sort of differential might you be trying to exclude when someone prevents a right upper quadrant pain? Pancreatitis. Pancreatitis, okay. So pancreatitis refers straight to the back. Yeah. One of the mm. classic features of it. That's from the autonomic innervation. That's right. So or, celiac yeah, plexus. Okay. okay. Okay, cool. Uh, so that's a good recap. Back to the function. So when you concentrate something, what do you run the risk of? It saturates. And super saturates and it precipitates out. Depending on what concentration of each of the components are, you get certain stones forming. And so this is called Admiral's Triangle. Okay. Gosh, how do I spell it? Never heard We're going some real first principles oh, right look, now. I, mean, I love it. I love you it. You don't have to, This is sort of one of those things that people like celebrate the wheat from the chaff with. When you're on a surgical <laughs> terminal. I'll be, I'll be the chaff. I, I'm I'll sure chaff, that the people who do listen to this, maybe, maybe there are a few really want to impress on yeah. Gen Surge. So. Look, I mean, no one... <laughs> I, I, I mean, hats off to you if you can get up in front of a class with a whiteboard marker, draw an admiral's triangle. But, you know, it was merely a, a theory just to get people thinking about how bile stones are formed. Obviously, someone was then like, hey, what about a medication that can dissolve bile stones, mm. dissolve mm. stones? Okay, that didn't work. That's why we're still cutting out gallbladders. All right. But uh, admiral's triangle, so it's spelled A-D-M-I-R-A-N-D, for anyone who wants to Google it. And does anyone know what the three main things are in bile? So would it be lipids? Yep. Bilirubin? Bile salts, bile they salts. just call it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Lipids, cholesterol, and? Water. Water. All right. Mm -hmm. So you get potential here for things to precipitate out, which mm -hmm. is why your three stones are cholesterol, pigmented, and mixed. And so you've got 20% cholesterol, 5% pigmented, and like 65% mixed. Now, mm. don't worry about remembering the percentages. If you can just remember that there are cholesterol stones, mixed stones, and pigmented stones, you're sweet. Because sweet. you just remember that it concentrates bile. So the bile has to have bile salts, has mm. to have cholesterol. And so my stones are going to be like pigmented, yep. mixed, cholesterol. And these stones, they jam into things when they try to get squeezed out. 
Mm. That causes pain, pain, inflammation. Pain. What's the key word though? What sort of pain? Colicky pain. Colicky pain. What is colic, guys? And this is something you can. Uh, I know. I, I know, Jason. I, I, is like, I know this. Song. I remember that. I'm probably going to get it wrong. No, do it. For sure. <laughs> you said it. I swear it's when smooth muscle contracts in a very like rhythmic kind of pattern, and it kind of contracts against some other object, which causes pain. That's close. close. Just one word. Oh, it contracts against. Resistance. Resistance. Which is why you get that rhythmic contraction, because smooth muscle is under autonomic control. And you get rhythmic contractions against resistance, so you're getting rhythmic sort of pain. And then because it's smooth muscle, you get this referred pattern of pain. It goes into the celiac plexus. You you feel nauseated. You vomit. You have, like, sweats. You feel feverish. You just feel this deep pain inside, and it, and it localizes because it's so close to, like, the right phrenic nerve. And the gallbladder, when it's quite distended, can poke up and be quite superficial. But overall, it sits in the right upper quadrant. It's often referred to the back along the subcostal root, just along that underneath the ribs. It's just that one thing that can cause all these autonomic side effects it's all yeah it's all about like where in the layers are you mm. and and what's going on so anatomy is so interesting because yeah. it's like it's it's like circuitry almost so you know you get these bile stones you get biliary colic mm-hmm. and eventually it causes some impaction and if it gets stuck is why you get the pain and if it gets stuck over time you're just chronically getting this biliary colic mm-hmm. you get this outpouching near the neck of the gallbladder which is known as Hartman's pouch mm-hmm. it's a common spot for where st- stones to sort of become lodged mm-hmm. and then they sort of stay there and they get bigger and bigger and bigger mm. over time and they sort of pop in, get stuck, pop out, pop in, get stuck, pop out, right? Which, you know, you've got to know the biliary tree as well. You've got to know that your liver roughly drains left and right. Left and right hepatic ducts become the... Common hepatic. Common. Nice. And the common hepatic duct joins with what duct? The cystic, cystic duct. And then those two then form the... Common, common biliary. Nice. And then the common bile duct goes to the... Duodenum. Duodenum. But what does it meet? Pancreatic duct. The pancreatic duct. And it meets at the... Ampulla of... Vata. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the hepatico pancreatic duct. Ampulla vata. Okay. And then that goes through what? Sphincter body. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And sphincter body then comes out of the duodenal papilla. And it comes out into the duodenum there. All right. Good. That's really, really good, guys. Because that's yeah. when you <laughs> look at your... When you think about that, it's plumbing, right? If a stone were small enough to get out of the gallbladder and then find itself lodged in the common bile duct, what would you mm. expect? So blockage of bile from the liver and the gallbladder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, are you saying cholidocolithiasis? It's cholidocolithiasis, okay. that's right, yeah. and it can just cause jaundice. Okay? And that's how, you know, that's the beginning of when you're like, oh, jaundice, yes, I've got you know, pre-hepatic, intrahepatic, and post-hepatic causes. And this one would be where? Uh, in that post-hepatic. Post-hepatic, okay? And so you would get... What type of bilirubinemia? A conjugated oh, bilirubinemia. Conjugated bilirubinemia, nice, because it's already passed the yeah. liver, right? Good, good, good. And then bore you with the other stuff. I mean, that's all, like, starts getting hepatology, you know, pre-hepatic causes yep. and, you know, intrahepatic causes and stuff. But um, that's cholidocolithiasis. And then if you've got right up with pain and fever, it becomes cholangitis, okay? Good. Just quickly, common bugs in the bilirubin tree. E. coli. E. coli is a good place mm. to start. And that's probably the most it's common one. E. Mm. It's always E. coli. Yeah. What else? It's Entrococcus is another one. Clebsiella is another one. Mm. They said mine. So Name some rat- yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Pretty much those three, and yeah. then Entrobacter as well. They're commonly a gram-negative rod, right. and they're faculative anaerobes. Mm-hmm. Okay? Good. And that's why that is important, because it, when it comes to management, you need to think, what do my empirical antibiotics need to treat? Mm-hmm. Awesome, guys. Awesome. So you get this lady who comes in, and she's 40 years old. Her name is Jasmine White. And you guys are in ED. 
you can be interns if you want. You can yeah. be the medical student attached to the admitting <laughs> registrar. No, those, those students are useless. <laughs> Let's be the intern. 40-year-old female, Jasmine White, she comes in and she stumbled over. She's, you know, you're called to see her and you go to see her in bed and she's sort of really holding on to her right-hand side. And she's just like, she looks like she's trying to give birth, but she's, she's sitting still right mm. she's not pacing in bed she's just feeling really really unwell there's a vomit bag next to her it's not been used and she she looks a bit sweaty she looks very uncomfortable mm. bmi mm. over 32 you if you were the doctor in the future what's the first thing you're going to do a to e yeah. examination anyone got a standard a to e approach they want to so air, airway so a is the airway so you see if she's her airway is patent in her own. She's so, puffing away. She's like, oh so she's God. breathing. So her airway is patent. I'm sorry, own. I'm just in so much pain. Yeah. So I assume she's tachypneic and she's breathing quickly, perhaps. Perhaps, huh? yep. yep. I mean, OBS are always 16 respirators. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. You can tell the OB chart, see what it is. Circulation-wise, you could see her color. So is she pale, is pallor? Has someone taken a blood pressure? You could take a blood pressure. You could feel a pulse and see whether she's tachycardic. She might be tachycardic because she's in pain. D, so disability. So is she responding to your questioning or is she sort of delirious, has a reduced GCS or non-responsive in that regard? And E, for exposure, you would see, is there a traumatic cause, for example, for her pain? Like has she been stabbed in the right upper quadrant for that reason? So you full sort of head-to-toe assessment and then see what that goes from there. Yeah, so that's that's really good. So nice and thorough, A to E. And you can you can use some like obvious things. So the patient can talk to me, answer my question mm-hmm. in a sensible way, and she's cognizant. I mean, that tells you the airway's intact <laughs> and patent. She's got enough oxygen to speak in a full mm-hmm. sentence. She has enough of a circulation to supply blood to her brain, mm-hmm. all right, which is already greater than systolic of 90, mm-hmm. okay? But definitely stay thorough. I would go assess the airway, assess mm-hmm. the breathing, you know, get the ALPS, make sure that the respiratory rate, saturations, mm-hmm. heart rate, blood pressure, check a temperature, ask orientating questions, all right? And then what? So do you do take a history? Mate, it hurts <laughs> so much right now, and I'm feeling like I want to vomit. She might need some analgesia. She might need and some analgesia. antiemetics, perhaps. And some antiemetics, yeah. okay? And she might be, I don't know, if she's been vomiting a lot, she might need some fluids as well, if she's dehydrated. That's right, yeah. okay? So you at least get her comfortable, mm-hmm. all right? You might be the medical student, and obviously you can't mm-hmm. just go and write oxy. Okay? <laughs> Um, and oxy may not be the actual best thing for this. It's probably not advised yeah. for okay. your future. Yeah. And, disclaimer. Yeah. You know, you may not just then go, yeah, she needs a cannula, you know. <laughs> Obviously, you know, you might be the medical student and the person was like, do you want to have a go at this cannula? And mm. you're like, yeah, I will put the cannula in. But you're right. She might need fluids. She'll need analgesia. Okay. We'll go over the analgesia and that sort of stuff later. But I just want you to think about that sort of stuff before you all go into yeah. robot automaton and go up and take the history <laughs> from this patient. And she's like doubled over in pain. And you're so just like, used to it. <laughs> please tell me about your vaccination. <laughs> and, you know, the patient's like, clearly I've got the B team. Okay? Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. yeah, let's yeah. See. Tell me about the takeout meals you take. <laughs> Did they you take know? the Rubin cough vaccine? <laughs> What sort of? How often would you say you eat out? You know, and the, so like, let's be serious. Like, let's be real. Like, yeah, this patient's yeah. got a lot of pain, and yeah. they're seeing you about it, right? Mm. So, let's say you get her pain under control. She's now not vomiting everywhere, mm. and she's able to have a conversation with you. What are some questions you might like to ask? You have like this like assault of questions that mm. you want to just mm. cascade mm. over the patient and have all the answers to simultaneously. But structure your Socrates. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Comprehensive history, you know, presenting complaint yeah. and then stuff like that. And you don't literally, you will get better at it. And, you you know, my favorite is always like when you guys first learn to take histories and, and everything is in like 
in in order, like yeah. sight, onset, <laughs> character, radiation. And so you can true. literally yes. hear you guys saying Socrates uh, without saying Socrates. Yeah. And it's fantastic and you need that structure. But eventually you want to try and tease a narrative out of mm-hmm. that patient so that you can then figure out what's sort of going on, trying to dissect away things that are like relevant, not relevant, you know. So she's 40 years old, right? Mm-hmm. And she's female. You're presenting complaint. You want to know about like exactly where the site is because mm-hmm. you're trying to think about the anatomy and the structures mm-hmm. involved, if it radiates anywhere. You're trying to think about the onset, like how does it come on, you know. You want to specifically ask, does it come on after food? Does it come on instantly or does it come on within half an hour? Mm-hmm. When would you reasonably expect it to sort of come on? Yeah, like within half an hour after food or something. Yeah. Okay. You wouldn't reasonably expect it to be instantaneously. Mm-hmm. It can sometimes happen, mm-hmm. but the onset is usually after the meal has been sort of chewed passed down and then passed in because you're waiting for what release? Cholecystokine release. Cholecystokine yeah, in the presence of the meal. Contract, yeah. yeah, you're waiting for that. Okay, which is why you need to know not just the history of what brought you into hospital today, but have you had pain like this in the last seven days? Have you ever had pain like this before? Have you ever needed hospitalization for something mm. like this yeah. before? When you've had those other episodes, what other symptoms did you have? And you have to be specific. When you guys have the structure is year two stuff. The structure is just so that you have a structure. Mm. Now you guys got to be thinking about what do I really need to know from this thing? What am mm. I really asking? Mm. You're asking for acuity of onset because you want to know, is this an acute episode that's happened now or is this something that's been brewing for seven days? You know, you're asking for bowel changes, but what bowel changes are you looking out for? So the pale stool. And why? What would that suggest? Because that means there is no bilirubin within the fe- fecal matter, right. which indicates that the bile is being blocked somewhere. somewhere okay what other sign is there of like jaundice of obstructive jaundice is it the really dark urine really dark urine okay mm. because what happens is that the bilirubin is backing up and it has to go out the body somewhere else and it comes out in the urine okay the unconjugated oh, bilirubin. okay that's why okay okay <laughs> he's learning all like, these like uh, that's why i was like why is the stool pale but then the urine dark and i mm. okay you know you want to exclude that there's been episodes of obstructive jaundice has your stool not just tonight but ever just randomly gone pale after you've had this attack of pain. Have you had really dark urine? They might just say like, yeah, one day I'd really notice I was really like tea-colored urine or cola-colored mm. urine. I didn't know why. And I never saw a doctor about it. And you're just like, hmm, okay. What other pertinent questions would you need to ask this person? I don't know if this is pertinent. It's pertinent in my head, <laughs> but her pregnancy status? 100%. Mm-hmm. I was once asked to see a person for right upper quadrant pain. Someone dutifully asked me, I just really kind of know something's not quite right. And, you know, I just need your surgical opinion for whether or not it's cholecystitis, you know. And I was like, have you checked her pregnancy status? And goes, oh, she's absolutely not pregnant. Husband's in the room. They said, you know, there's no chance it's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, let's just add on the um, beta HCG, scroll down, 17,600. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... All right, but similar. So I've, got, I've got nausea, you know. Mm. But you take, you tease the history. I'm like, does it come on after meals? No, 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 no. It's mm. ma- mainly in the morning. I'm like, are you sure she's not pregnant? Mm. Um, but don't worry. I mean, you got to think about it as a Venn diagram. Your history and examination, your investigations, and your special tests, they all form your like that intersection of those three circles. Okay. What are some other questions you might like to ask? Have you had your gallbladder out? Have you had any recent surgeries? Have you had any history of excessive alcohol use? Have you had any liver issues in the past? Yeah. Do you drink was a good one. Because if you drink lots and you got this pain and it bores mm. straight to your back, what are you worried about? Pancreatitis. Pancreatitis. But if you drink lots and you have this pain, it's epigastric. It doesn't necessarily bore to the back. 
but it's also associated with vomiting, might be gastritis. Gastritis, all right? And I'm vomiting because I'm hungover. I've drunk too much and I'm mm. vomiting. Mm. And then I vomited so much, I've got epigastric pain. And yeah, what are you vomiting? You know, is there any blood when you vomit? And hopefully not, okay? But you know, if they were getting sort of epigastric pain that was radiating into the chest and it was associated with vomiting, you could be thinking about other things like a Mallory Weiss tear or a Borhaus. Mm. But you also, in your history, you want to have those red flag exclusion questions. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are some red flag sort of conditions that you need to exclude from a presenting complaint of right upper quadrant pain in general? Cardio. Mm -hmm. What? ACS. MI. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Fancy new kids with their new new acronyms. (laughs) ACS. Heart attack. (laughs) Okay. And a perforated peptic ulcer, duodenal ulcer, mm-hmm. um, like it's bowel perforation. A contained perforation can be masked as cholecystitis. And that's a big one that you don't really want to miss either. Okay. Because of risk of sepsis? Because of risk of sepsis, yeah. yeah. I mean, untreated cholecystitis also has a risk of sepsis yeah. too, especially cholangitis will kill you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So MI is a big one. And there's also some other differentials. You know, any other differentials that you can think of in that right upper quadrant area? Like a small bowel obstruction? Small bowel obstruction is one, especially if there's vomiting. It's mm, called renal colic. Absolutely. Renal colic is a big one. And that's why it's important to note that, you know, this isn't a person that is, like, pacing. So, like, what is your typical look of a person with renal colic? Arms on their side, like, in extreme pain, like, walking up and down. Trying to get Cuss comfortable. Cuss yeah. still. Cuss it still. Cuss. Yeah. Definitely renal colic. Or the other one would be a infected obstruction. Okay. Infected obstructed stone. Or pyelonephritis. Another organ? P. Could be a Not quite a PE, pneumonia, pneumonia definitely. Okay. Pancreas. Uh, and pancreatitis, absolutely. Okay. And you've said gastritis and you've said mm. MI, but definitely in that area have had right lower lobe pneumonia missed for cholecystitis. So, and then, you know, your comprehensive history, you're right. Have you had your gallbladder out before, man? Have you had any other surgery before? Other surgery increases the likelihood of adhesions, adhesions which give you a small bowel mm. structure. Mm. What else would there be? Do you uh, have family comprehensive history? Family, no, that's true. I mean, I would put family history under comprehensive mm-hmm. history, and family history of gallbladder mm-hmm. disease is is actually shown to be statistically relevant, opposed to just being forty. Mm-hmm. Less <laughs> statistically the, the relevant. Do you yeah. guys remember that? Yeah, the, yeah, the, the yeah. success. I, I was thinking, is she also Caucasian? Perhaps <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer White. So, what are the Fs? F for female. Yeah. Forty. 40. Yeah. Fat. Yeah. Flatulence. Fertile. Fertile. Flatulence. <laughs> Not quite flatulence. Fair. 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 Yeah. History. It's really the five Fs. <laughs> okay, well, right, so I hope you're getting the idea of like why you're asking these sorts of mm. history things. And now you go on to examination findings. You get told that her OBS are normal, her temperature is normal, her heart rate is 103, and her blood pressure is 135 <laughs> on 80, and her respiratory rate is 20 sats and greater than 94% on room air, and she's GCS 15. All right, starting from the top to toe, you're going to do this abdominal examination, and you always remember any exam is always look, feel, move, whether it's musculoskeletal, mm-hmm. whether it's abdominal, where it's room, whether it's cardio, whether it's whatever. You've mm-hmm. got look, feel, move, and special tests. It's always your exam. And you're starting from top to toe, and I want you to start... What are you looking for, Jason? So on on inspection or, yeah, we're looking for any jaundice. Yep. Where could you look for some jaundice other than the fact that the patient's yellow? Look in the sclera. Good. The eyes. Good. Okay. Yep. Move on. Next thing you're looking for. I'll be looking in the mouth, seeing if she's dehydrated. Okay. Um, Fluid status. Fluid status. And that's good because the stem of the question has alluded to her vomiting profusely, right? So you would be missing a fairly obvious thing. But yeah, that's good. So fluid status, is she dry? Okay. You want to pick another thing that you'd be looking for? What are your other general appearances that you're looking out for? Does she look like she's in pain? Right now? That's like, an yeah. obvious one. Good. Yeah, so yeah. so you're, you're starting to actually look for your peripheral stigmata of abdominal mm. disease. Oh, 
But where do you start all your examinations? Guys? Hands, usually. Hands. Yep. Good hands. Look. Right. And there's this approach that mm-hmm. uh, gets a bit lost, I guess, because you know you were banned from seeing patients for two years because you were atrocious. Now, because of <laughs> um, some of us were. <laughs> and the approach that was a nice approach was, you know, in the old days you could not the old days. Gosh, <laughs> shake hands. You you'd shake hands, right? Well, and and you'd get used to touching mm. people. And why is that useful? So, which side of the patient would you approach from? Right. Patients, right. Yeah. And they're laying in bed usually. Okay. And you can introduce yourself mm. and you can shake their hand and you can then do what? Feel their pulse. Feel their pulse. Mm. All right. Is it weak and thready? Are they dehydrated? Are they tachycardic? Are they regular? Are they irregular? All right. You found four things already. Yeah. You hold their hand. Are they cold? Are they clammy? Are they pale? Yeah. You found out if they're diaphoretic. All right. Mm. Um, you've got their hand and you look. Do they have palmar pallor? Are they got clubbing? Do they have any signs of... Dupatrins. Dupatrins or... Palmar erythema. You know, palmar erythema. Yeah. Okay. And you can follow the arm up and you can look for upper limb wastage. Do they have any signs of liver disease? Yeah. You can then check where's their cannula. Do they have a cannula? You can then move up to look at the eyes, mm-hmm. and you can see is there scleral jaundice, or is there, um, oh, sorry, not scleral jaundice, scleral icterus. And you can look in the conjunctiva for pallor, which is a bit more sensitive than in the palms. Mm-hmm. You can then look into their mouths. Are they, are they dry, dry mucous membranes? And this builds rapport. You've already shown that. Wow, this is a person, oh, they felt my pulse. Mm. They're looking at things and explaining to me along the way. Yes, you can look under my gown now, okay? <laughs> Whereas everyone is just like, let's look at your gown, man. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, nice to meet you. <laughs> okay? Um, especially when you guys are like examining patients by yourselves and as medical students, this would be a good approach for anything. It's the same approach, mm. okay? And then you would lift up the gown, mm. you protect their modesty, you explain to them, I mm. just need to look at your abdomen now, I mm. need to see. Mm. And then, boom, scars, swelling, visible peristalsis, distensions. What else would there be? That's a good segue. <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you the answers, yeah. but you know, what are your other peripheral stigmata? You've got, got them exposed now. Mm. Bruising. The spider nevi. Bruising, spider nevi, good. Yeah, Put medusa. good. Okay, distended umbilical veins. You're probably not going to find gynecomastia because she's female. She's female. You might find some spider nevi in the lower part of the chest, right? Where should you expose someone? How should someone be positioned for an abdominal examination? Supine. Well, pillows under their knees if they need. Yeah, that could potentially help relieve the tension in the abdomen for someone who's got yeah, hands on both sides. Hands on both sides. Relaxed. Abdomen is as relaxed tense. as possible. Exactly yeah. right. Because mm. you want a tense mm. abdomen to be peritonitis, not discomfort mm. from mm. you not positioning them properly or yep. them not being told to relax because invariably patients are going to be like this right they're mm. going to have their arms folded across their chest because some strange dude is just like coming to look at my tummy like mm. it's just it's just yeah. a natural mm. human yeah. response right mm. they're not just going to lay there like mm. this but so you have to gently encourage them and just remind them that this part of the examination i just need your arms by your side please mm. yeah i need you to relax as relax as possible so they're lying there and you need to be exposed from at least the zippy sternum to the pubis Mm. And the pubis, because you need to see what area? Groin. The groin, because they may have surgery scars there indicating yeah. a previous inguinal hernia repair, mm. right? You just need to see these things, and it's much more impressive when you can pick it up. She's 40, she's had kids. What other scar might you find out Caesareans. there? Caesareans. Yeah, okay. What type of scar is that called? What incision is that called? Fan and steel. Oh, they, isn't it fun to say? Fan and steel. Mm. Very fancy. Nice, mm. okay. And a good thing to ask is for a patient to just point. It's called the pointing test. It's quite useful in appendicitis. That's quite mm. sensitive. They just point. Where's the pain? I give you one finger. You have to point to one spot on your abdomen where it's most sore. Mm. And that is before you've even touched the patient. Yeah. And they'll just point. And they won't touch too hard because they know it's sore. So then you know not to touch there. 
too hard. Mm -hmm. And then you start your palpation from the most non-tender side to the tender side, and you work in a nine-quadrant way, building up to it, all right? Let's say you feel the right upper quadrant. So you do the examination, and it's actually mildly tender in the right upper quadrant. And you go to elicit a sign. Anyone know what that sign's called? Murphy's sign. And can anyone describe how you would test for Murphy's sign? Put your finger there. <laughs> around so fingers there. like perpendicular to the lower costal margin. Then you get them to breathe in and then press them. Yeah, That's right. Because yeah. you breathe in, your diaphragm flattens, your lung expands, everything gets pushed down in the, in the abdomen. Your probing finger is waiting there under the rib. As they breathe in, the gallbladder pushes onto your waiting finger. And then if it's a positive Murphy's, it catch. will hurt a lot and it will catch, okay? And the old description was they'll suddenly inspire or catch their breath, okay? And that's a positive Murphy's. Right. You can't have a Murphy sign if you don't have a gallbladder. Make sense? <laughs> okay. So if you get that sign and someone's already had a cholecystectomy, you're probably just poking really hard. Or they've got some sort of problem, actual pathology. Like maybe they've got a phlegmon there or something. But that's how you would describe Murphy sign. There's a modern Murphy sign. Does anyone know how that, what that is? I joke around and call it the CT scan. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's close. It's yeah. when they get the ultrasound probe. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they jab it in there yeah. and they get a Murphy sign on, right. on an ultrasound probe. Okay. Yeah. So you do that exam and she doesn't have a Murphy sign. It's Murphy's negative. She's a little bit tender there, but the abdomen is overall soft. It's soft in the epigastrium. There's no pain in the renal flanks. Okay. There's no other scars in her body. She hasn't got a C-section scar. She delivered vaginally the last two births. There's no jaundice. And there's no peripheral stigmata of disease. She's got a little bit of tenderness in the right upper quadrant. What else would you do to complete your abdominal exam, which is useful for her? Not just her, but every abdominal exam? Auscultate for bowel sounds. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. She's opened a bowel sound, <laughs> yeah. but sure, you can auscultate for bowel yeah. sounds. That's good. Like urinalysis. Urinalysis. Mm. Okay. And what might you find or what you'd mm. be looking out for? Well, you're looking for white cells. So. Bilirubin. Bilirubin. Okay. Oh, because it'd be higher. You guys remember what's in your mm. urinalysis? Mm. You know, your specific gravity, your pH, presence of blood, <laughs> glucose, protein, bilirubin. Mm. Okay, some will give you beta HCG, nitrates, leukocytes. All right? So you do all that, and then, of course, you have to say, I would do a PR exam, but, you know, PR exam would round off this abdominal examination. Or, you know, you could even say, like, a PR exam might be indicated if she was talking about some pale stools recently, and you could do a PR exam, and you might find pale stool on glove. Mm. Okay. Mm. Right. What's your sort of dif differentials now? Like, well, what's your likely impression here? So it sounds like um, caledocolithiasis to me. Oh, oh, no, sorry. It sounds like biliary colic. Yeah. She's afebrile. Why would you not be caledocolithiasis since you brought it up? Because she's afebrile. Um, you could be afebrile with caledocolithiasis. So I always get confused. What is the difference between... <laughs> Uh, cholidolithiasis and cholidocolithiasis <laughs> and uh, biliary colic. It's where the obstruction is. Mm. Okay. So cholidocolithiasis is in the common biliary duct, and then biliary colic is in the, in the gallbladder duct. Yeah. Okay. Cystic in duct. Cystic duct. Okay. Yeah. Usually doesn't even. I mean, yeah, it can make it into the cystic duct. Yeah, it's the gallbladder Bladder. contraction. Nice. And then cholangitis. Cholangitis is like an in ascending infection from the yep. duodenum. And it can be with or without stones. Yep. Just remember that. Okay? It's more commonly associated with stone, mm. but it can be with, mm. like, there can be no stone there. Anyway, so that's good. So you're yeah, thinking it's, like, it's more biliary colic. Yeah. Okay? Mm. But you need more proof. You've done a good history and examination. What's next? Investigations. Investigations. Because you turn the page, right? Mm. You think about yeah, this page yeah. turner mm. that you got. So you turn mm. the page and like, the patient is, I, like as I said, okay, what investigations does this patient need? JT? I'm going to start off with a full blood count. Why? To well, what are you looking for on the blood count? White cells to check for infections. Mm -hmm. uh, just also check their hemoglobin to see if any loss of blood. Good. What white cell would you expect to be raised if it was infection? 
in an acute Leucocytes. setting. Leukocytes? Neutrophils. Neutrophils, yeah. right? It's called bacterial. Good. And then the CRP. CRP. To good. check for signs of inflammation. And well, I don't know if you should do this, but lipase to exclude pancreatitis. You should 100% do lipase to okay. exclude pancreatitis. Sure. And I don't know any special tests for no, other. No, no, it's just other blood tests. Come on, JT. Well, you can pass a baton. Oh, sorry, LFTs. LFTs, mm. right? Specifically yeah. looking yeah. at bilirubin. Yeah. Okay. What oh, liver yes. enzymes are raised? <laughs> In cholelithiasis pictures. Aiden, you think you should know. ALP and um, GGT. So in this particular oh, right. setting, you're yep. really interested in Billy, mm. ALP, GGT. Mm. What else? Well, since it's a surgical station, I might do a group and hold and as well. Okay. She might need surgery. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And EUCs for baseline. Absolutely EUCs. But why else? Not just as a baseline. What's her clinical picture? Oh, like you're worried about renal colic as well? Dehydration. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. You could be worried about de- uh, renal colic. She did that UA. It showed, you know, nothing. If she had renal colic, what would you see on a UA? Blood. Leukocytes. Blood. Yeah. Oh, you might see some leukocytes too. Mm. She had a UTI, you'd see leukocytes and nitrites. Oh, on the UA. Yeah, yeah on the mm. UA. Mm. Um, so you do So you do that. You do the EUCs because you're trying to make sure she's not dehydrated because you might see a creatinine rise. Mm. And then she's been vomiting lots. What do you lose when you vomit? Potassium. Electrolytes, potassium. Okay, mm. so she might need some electrolytes. She might have an electrolyte derangement. You've done a group and hold. Any other blood tests? I know, I know in pregnancy they sometimes do bile salts. Yep. Uh, huh? Like they look at the bio. No, it's bio acid or bile salts? Or? No, I thought you were going to say beta HCG. <laughs> beta, oh yeah. Hey, I was going to yeah, say Let's just say you said beta HCG. So you beat both bees, right? Yeah. Bile salts. Definitely beta HCG. Yeah. You said nearly all of them, and there's one that you haven't said, which is coax. What does the liver do? And if there's something attached to the liver that's playing up or if there's something that you're worried about that the liver's diseased from, the liver does synthetic function, storage function, Mm. uh, Mm. detoxification function, and part of the synthesis is clotting factors. And if there's been a significant obstruction to the liver and the whole liver is affected, you will get an elevated INR. So you're going to do a coag. So you do that. So you, you... your bloods, yeah. inverted mm-hmm. commas, right? Everyone loves it. I will do bloods. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, until you can say every single blood test and why, you don't get to use the term bloods, <laughs> all right? When you can, then I will do bloods, all right? But for the purposes of any examination where you have to prove your knowledge, you spell it mm. out. And so you spell out those bloods as part of those investigations. You've done your UA and you find out that her bilirubin's normal, white cells are normal, CRP is normal, UEC, she's a little bit dry, creatinine's 111, and her potassium is 3.8. Lipase is negative, beta-HCG is negative. So let's say that LFTs have a mild ALP and GGT rise, yeah. okay? Not completely normal. And also an ALT of 54, which is mildly elevated. So you do all that, and you know it's starting to sound like biliary colic. But there's something else that you need to prove that she has biliary colic. Imaging. Imaging. What's the preferred imaging? Ultrasound. Ultrasound. Good. So you request an ultrasound. And so you do this ultrasound, and most people will read for the report, but if you ever get the time, you can look through the images, and you're looking for shadowing in that gallbladder from the stones, okay? And it'll sometimes the stones come up quite white, so they're hyperechoic. Sometimes they're not. They're just hypoechoic, but they'll often have some acoustic shadowing. So you'll see, like, black shadow and lines underneath it from where the transducer is to, through it. That's to see some stones. If you saw inflammation, you would then see gallbladder wall thickening, mm. pericholocystic mm. fluid, okay? The gallbladder would be thickened. If there's features of obstruction, you might look for if the CBD is dilated. Sometimes they can even see stones 
in the CBD. Mm. Sometimes, they, most of the time, they, they won't, but they can see secondary features of obstruction, which is a dilated CBD. Okay, you can look and you can see if there's a distended Hartman's pouch because there's a large stone impacted into it. And so you do that and you find out she's got biliary colic with no features of cholecystitis. So your management of this sort of patient is like your analgesia. What's your basic approach to analgesia management? Paracetamol. Do you have like a do you have a word? W, yeah. W Yeah. So a multimodal ladder approach, step up approach to <laughs> analgesia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The who yeah. ladder yeah. approach to analgesia, and it starts off with Love. paracetamol followed by an anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen. Yeah. Just before opioids, there's like opioid-like, mm. which is tramadol. Tramadol. Okay. And then mm. opioids. And the oxys. Right. Probably the more effective one will just be the anti-inflammatory and paracetamol, and that's usually enough, and tramadol mm. as well. So you do that, and then fluids. So she's vomiting lots. She needs some fluids, and you would give that IV. Um, and what else could you give her? Potassium topper. Not quite. Yeah, she's for her vomiting. Right? Antiemetics. Okay, and what's an antiemetic you might have heard of? Metoclopramide. Metoclopramide could be one. Another on one. Dancitron. On Dancitron. Okay, good. She's in ED. She's comfortable now. Your analgesia's work. She's feeling better. She's had her fluids. And you deliver her the wonderful news that she's not carrying babies. She's carrying stones. <laughs> she says, doctor, what do I do about this? What's the next management? The odd definitive treatment is a cholecystectomy. Yeah. Just yeah. to remove the gallbladder. Yeah. Correct. And then you figure that she probably doesn't need to come into hospital. Mm. It just doesn't need to happen today. So you refer to a general surgeon and she gets patient education. <laughs> All right. What's well, some patient education factors? Or, or things. No KFC. To, <laughs> to wash the meals, I guess. Okay, so um, you, what sort of meal advice would you give this sort of a patient? Minimal fatty meals. Yep, or, so low fatty or try meals. to avoid if you can. Yep, absolutely. A lot of hydration. Yeah, for the short term, but what mm. else would you explain to the patient? It's likely that this will happen again. Mm. It could happen again, uh, yep. Safety netting. Safety so netting. Starts getting favors. Um, right, vomiting. this is great. Okay, park the safety netting for a second. You're educating the patient about biliary colic. What do you want to tell them? the anatomy and physiology of why it's happening so she can better understand. I'm a 40-year-old mother of two <laughs> who does not do medicine and <laughs> I have been having this pain and I'm now better, I'm getting ready to go home and you've just told me I have stones. So you explain the diagnosis, you explain yep. the treatment options, okay. the risks and benefits of those treatment options. All right. So the diagnosis, how are you going to explain it? And just like dot points because this, this could be something mm. as a question. It's like, the patient is ready to go home, education, what are some pertinent things, okay? You've got stones in your gallbladder. When yep. it contracts and they get stuck, you get this pain. Yep, yep. So you go, I'm going to explain the pathophysiology and how this pain can come on again, and therefore I'm going to advise her to eat, avoid fatty meals, mm. all right, so that you avoid that pain again. If there's pain, I'm going to advise her about taking simple analgesia and make sure she goes home with some scripts for anti-inflammatories and paracetamol. Mm. Advise her that it will go away, but then it leads into your safety netting. Okay. Mm. And then your safety netting points are? So if you start developing fevers, fevers. Um, the right upper quadrant pain, if it's not going away, if you start vomiting, then notice that your skin or eyes are getting yellow. Good. Jaundice, red flags. Yep. Oh, Pale stools, yep. dark urine, yellow eyes. Yep. It's a represental emergency. Right. So fever, unwell, severe, intractable pain. Just a few keywords. Severe, intractable pain. Fever, jaundice. Okay. And then these are some red flags which I yep. get the patient to represent. Okay. So good. And then treatment options. So it's cholecystectomy. Mm -hmm. All right. What are some other things you can give her advice before? Because let's say there's a six-week wait to see the mm -hmm. 
general surgeon for her planned elective color cystectomy. No, let's say it's really good. She's got she she'll have her appointment in two weeks, and then you know, and then she'll get booked for a color cystectomy, which will probably be a category two, so within ninety days. So anyway, she's got private health. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's really good. That's really good. Actually, you know, not untrue. Not untrue. That's a very practical tip. Not something I would write in your exam. <laughs> okay. um, what are some other things that you would? give her. This is a brownie point thing. It's a very good thing to think about. You're sending her away for a couple of weeks oh, to get worked up. Medical certificate. <laughs> Again, we're, we're too outside of the box. Lifestyle you know, advice. I care about holistic yeah. medicine. Lifestyle oh, yeah. advice. Patient, edu- patient education. So, patient education yeah. on lifestyle mm. effect, factors. So part of the comprehensive history you got, you know, she was overweight. Mm. She's 40. She's got a little bit of ALT raised, so possible mm. signs of fatty liver disease. She doesn't drink, but she smokes. Uh, mother of two. And she works say, as a store person, okay, mm. and does some heavy lifting. Mm. So what are some lifestyle advice that you might give? So advice about losing weight, reducing her smoking, yep. possibly quitting, diet, I don't know. Like, what you is said she, diet, yeah, yep, diet, good, because yeah. that was part of the original yeah. patient, like the, like the first part of the patient. Yeah. Um, you know, the recommended physical activity guidelines, like recommend she engages in some sort yeah, of because physical you've got, activity. Yeah, weight yeah. loss and stuff yeah. like that, that's good too. Yeah. Okay, because these things are optimizing mm-hmm. her modifiable risk factors mm. for surgery, because yeah. she's eventually going to need surgery. Mm. So you may as well get her to start thinking about cutting down smoking, mm. exercising, yeah. losing some weight. All of these things improve mm. surgery. Okay, and she goes home. Well done. <laughs> she gets to her gen search and she gets her booking for a lap collie and she's category two on the public wait list. Okay. Thank you. Makes sense. Thank you. Thank you very much. Processing all that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so much smarter, but I don't know how much longer. Yeah, 20 minutes after this. Yeah. This is so much. You're telling us. You're saying that, <laughs> man. I can't even remember the basic anatomy. You just got to keep your structure going. You know, I remember what it sounded like to get told to study the embryology and to study the anatomy as well, and it's like painful. So I think a, a nice way that I and you remember me in the tutes always just saying that a nice way to do it is actually in reverse. So try to explain all the things that you get on your history. Try to explain all the things you see in the management, and try to explain all the investigations that are ordered with physiology. So you go backwards. You know, mm. so why is this person's white cells raised? Why mm. is there fat stranding and inflammation? What causes it? It's right? pretty much the purpose of first principles, huh? Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Kwan, for coming in today and explaining and actually demonstrating the usefulness of first principles. <laughs> I think when most of us are in there, we're just hoping, we're just praying to God that they're not going to ask us anything anatomy related. It's very visual. You know, we're just smiling and nodding. That's 90% yeah. of what we do. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share it with your friends. We're really excited to be collaborating with Becky from Becky's Notes, a UK-based resource to produce an infographic for our visual learners out there. Becky's Notes bring together all the key topics medical students need to know in a readily available place, reviewed by specialists in the field. These visually striking notes are a refreshing change from all these boring textbooks out there. You can check her out on Instagram at Becky's Notes 01 and support her at the links below. Check out 1pm.wiki and for all your first principles, keep it right here at 1pm.